Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Good morning, everybody. 908. Just click the 909. 909 on KDXU. I'm Andy Griffin, live in the camp from the Camping World of St. George Studios. Thanks for tuning in today. I uh, wanted to do a special show on suicide prevention. Uh, I had it all set up with Teresa Willey and uh, over there at the Southwest Behavioral Health Center and some of the people that are involved with a new program, Live on Utah. But I picked a bad day because they have a big conference going on today. Fortunately, she was able to hook me up with a couple of cool people involved with the the Live on Utah and Reach for Hope and Suicide Prevention. Uh, I have in studio with me Nick Nucitelli. We're going to get to him in just a minute uh, and explain how he's involved. Also, Theron Crosby. Theron, thank you for coming in today. Good to talk to you, man. Appreciate you being here. Step right on up to that microphone, though, so we can hear you pretty well. Yeah, just talk right into that thing. Theron uh, is a veteran that, with a VFW and uh, a veteran, and we're going to talk more about uh, what, how they're involved as well. And then uh, to my left is Joel Jacobson. Joel is with Intermountain Healthcare. Uh, and uh, we'll start with Joel because, uh, well, first of all, she's better looking than you guys. And I know that doesn't matter in radio, but it, it does matter in this room. Uh, Joel, thank you again for coming in today. Thanks for having hey, me. Hey, there morning. she is. All right, that sounds much better. Uh, all right, uh, Joel uh, with Intermountain Healthcare. A uh, couple of things I wanted to talk about. First of all, maybe if you can explain who you are, what you do, and then explain how Intermountain Healthcare is involved with uh, Live on Utah. Yeah, thank you. So, um, at our local hospital here, St. George Regional Hospital, I'm the operations director over our behavioral health services, mm-hmm. which includes our inpatient unit. I think a lot of us refer to as BMED. BMED, yeah. Yep. And then we have an access center, which is for um, walk-ins for people who are in crisis, so for people to get the support that they need. So I get to work with all of the leaders and caregivers who are mm-hmm. taking care of patients in these um, these two units that we have. I don't think people generally in the population understand that that's a big need and how important it is. And the fact that Intermountain Healthcare provides that here at St. George Regional uh, is a unique thing, isn't it? So we are the only inpatient behavioral health unit um, from Provo South. Um, and so we we get to service a large population. Um, we have 18 beds in this unit, mm-hmm. um, our inpatient behavioral health unit. And then for our access center, too, I think this is a great... Um, community service when you don't know what to do um, you've got someone a loved one in crisis that you can just walk in and you have access to a a trained clinician how uh just a ballpark figure maybe how busy is your bmed floor is it pretty full usually great question yes we um we are pretty much full on any day of the week with those 18 beds and so There's a, there's a huge community need here. Absolutely. Huge need for sure. Uh, a lot of talk lately has been about this. Uh, they're calling it a receiving center. I don't think that's going to be the final name of it, but that's what it is right now, the receiving center. What is the receiving center and how did you guys support it? Great question. So we were approached by the county um, talking about this um, this idea mm-hmm. for this receiving center. And we said we would love to help be consultants um, we have, I think, a lot of content expert knowledge where we've... Sp- I was going to say, bring the experts yeah, in. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we've had some expertise or some experience, at least. 
And so they approached us just about what we could help them do. And so we've had multiple meetings with Southwest Behavioral Health, who will be operationalizing this and just giving them some ideas. Um, and then Intermountain Healthcare also was able to donate $100,000 as well to wow. that cause. So from what I understand, the receiving center, say a police gets called out on a domestic disturbance or something like that, and the, the policeman evaluates what's going on and decides a person in distress is having a mental episode. So something, something's gone wrong in their brain. They, things aren't quite clicking. Uh, the, then they would perhaps at that point decide, I need to take them to this receiving center instead of the jail or even the hospital at this yeah, point. That's correct. So I think we also, um, we see a lot of these in our emergency department as mm-hmm. well. And so this will be a great resource for the community instead of either is it gel or emergency department, we have the receiving center for that. And it's funny, last time, unfortunately, I've been to your emergency room a couple of times recently, but last time I was there, someone was there having a, a mental problem and they were screaming and yelling all kinds of words that I can't say on the radio. But uh, the fact is, had there been a receiving center at that time, it might've made things a little simpler for those of us that were in the emergency room for other reasons. So a definite need, right? Yeah, I, that's, that's a great point. And I think one thing too, um, that I, we do very well, we, we realize that we want to keep you all close to home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what as far as when patients are coming into the emergency department and if they do need inpatient care, we do everything we can to keep you close to home. We transfer out very few patients. Um, even though we might not have a bed, we'll, we'll find you one quick um, and to make sure that you're, you're close to home in St. George. Let's talk a little bit about Live On Utah and about uh, Reach for Hope. Tell us about your involvement there, how important it is. I mean, where you're dealing with mental health on a daily basis, obviously suicide is a big factor. Yeah. Um, as I've been thinking about this, you know, we, we get the opportunity to take care of these individuals who, who need us and, and we're here for them. Mm-hmm. But I love that we get to work with community partners that we get to help prevent, right, and get access to resources so they don't, you don't need us. You know, we would love for no one to need inpatient mental health care if we're right. doing a good job of getting loved ones um, support. And just, I think it's so wonderful what all of us are doing to make, uh, to bring awareness, I think, to uh, the resources that we have, um, that Utah has done a phenomenal job in getting us those resources. We had a big old, I guess it was a press conference. All of you guys got to speak at the press conference. I didn't have to. I got to sit and listen the whole time. Uh, talking about kind of the launching of liveonutah.org. And by the way, it's a great website if you're looking for some mental health resources, especially when we're talking about suicide. Liveonutah.org is a great resource. Uh, in July, they're launching the new 988 uh, suicide hotline. It used to be, you call, and it's not a bad number, it was like 1-800-237-TALK or something like that. But to be able to just dial three numbers if you're in crisis is a big a big deal. And so we're, we're excited about Uh, that as well. Well, Joelle, I know you need to go, and I really appreciate you taking a couple of minutes and just explaining uh, Intermountain Healthcare's involvement with all this, and uh, it sounds like you guys are are behind it 100%. We are, and I'm even wearing my Live On t-shirt today to support, so... They didn't have one big enough for me, or I would have got one. In fact, Teresa says she's going to bring me one. Very so, good. Thank well, you, Joel. Thank you. Appreciate you coming in today. All right, let's talk with Theron for just a minute. Um, his name is uh, Theron Crosby, and uh, Theron is a uh, is with with the VFW. First of all, Theron, thank you for coming in today. Tell us a little bit about your military service. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> I uh, grew up in Nevada. Um, okay. But my father was a uh, a Utah native and mm-hmm. uh, from over in Kane County. And uh, right before I started high school, he brought us back to uh, Utah. And so nice. I went to high school in Kanab, Utah. All right. A cowboy, huh? Yes. Way to go. Um, and uh, I do like supporting them, uh, but I won't get into, into that because we like to support the other communities as well. <laughs> uh, so try and be a little bit political here. Um, um, in uh, While I was in high school, I, I did really well on the armed service uh, vocational aptitude battery. That uh, It's a little civil service test that they give you to see mm-hmm. if you have the the skills and background to join the military. And uh, all of a sudden, I was being recruited by all the different services. They wanted and, you, huh? And yeah. uh, so how, I. Stuck, how long ago was this? Do you mind the, if I ask? The, I graduated in 1982, so okay. um, I, I like to think I'm still a pretty young guy, but um, <laughs> I am over the 55 mark, so I'm part of the senior community myself, mm-hmm. uh, the baby of the senior community. Yeah, you're just a youngster. Um, <laughs> At any rate, um, I found myself in a situation where I couldn't afford to go to school, mm-hmm. and uh, so I looked around, and I, I, uh, the Army offered me a good uh, education program if I would agree to serve, so I joined up. I, I served in the, in the U.S. Army, and uh, about three years into that first four-year stint, uh, they offered me the opportunity to go to officer training, oh, wow. and uh, so I... Resigned on the dotted line, made me, uh, uh, gave me a new eight-year commitment, oh, but wow. it allowed me to come back to Utah and uh, go to Southern Utah, uh, then State College, but now Southern Utah University, right. and uh, and be in their ROTC program. And I graduated from that in 1990, and uh, uh, with the plan to go right back onto active duty, but the Cold War ended, and. Uh, uh, President Clinton said we don't need as many soldiers. Really? Um, hmm. So we began to draw down our military a little bit. And at this point, and you're an officer now? Yes. Right? Lieutenant? or? Uh, yeah, I was a second lieutenant second at the Louis, time. Yeah. Um, Desert Storm happened. I, I got to sit that one out because uh, I wasn't part of the... The actual units. I was in the officer basic uh, training program mm-hmm. uh, for the field artillery, and um, many of my classmates did get orders to go over and participate in Desert Shield and then in Desert Storm, yeah. um, but I didn't. Um, I came back and spent about five years in the Army Reserve here in Utah, and then I switched into uh, the Utah National Guard. Nice. And uh, served the rest of the time in the Utah Guard, expecting to retire at about 20 years. And then that little thing called 9-11 happened. And uh, it changed, changed a, um, a lot of things for the people who were in the military. And mm-hmm. I spent uh, 14 years um, after 9-11 going from uh, deployment to deployment um, and spending some time in, in other countries. Wow. Wow. Across, across the pond, as they say, huh? Yes. Very cool. In uh, 2012, I decided to uh, join the Veterans of Foreign Wars. We had just came back. I'd, I'd gone with uh, the local boys with the Triple Deuce over to, uh, to, to uh, Operation New Dawn in Iraq, mm-hmm. where we uh, uh, closed down the military involvement 
um, the large-scale military involvement in the country and uh, closed down uh, the bases we had over there and uh, came back uh, in January of 2012 and uh, joined the, the Veterans of Foreign Wars. I, mm-hmm. I still did one more deployment after that, but wow. uh, I've been a member of the Veterans of Foreign Wars ever since. Wow, wow. So you've been all, all over the world, I guess, huh? Yeah, well, that's one of the advantage. I, <laughs> I, I currently teach high school kids uh, oh, really? uh, social studies, you know, history and uh, and uh, geography. And so you can say, uh, this country does this. I know I was there. Yes, it's <laughs> it's actually a little bit of an advantage because I can talk about what the people are like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it helps me be a better teacher. Um, Sounds like it, yeah. The other side of the fence for young kids that don't want to stay in Utah their entire life and are looking at a way to get out and and uh, visit different places in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the military is a great way to go. They uh, they help you uh, get out and see some, some of the world um, while being a patriot and serving your country. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you, by the way, for your service. Uh, all the, but pretty much your whole life you've served our country. Yeah, I... I've got my little vanity plate on my car that says uh, U.S. Army, um, 29 years. And when the state asked me why I wanted to put 29 years on my license plate, I said, that's how many years I served in the Army. Wow. Um, And fortunately for me, the state said, hey, that's good. (laughs) They let you have it. That's good. That's good. Well, uh, one of the reasons that you were involved in the press conference and you're in, uh, now involved with uh, LiveOnUtah.org and and uh, Reach for Hope is is the fact that, like it or not, it, it's a it's a fact that veterans uh, often take their lives. Now, I, I wouldn't say often, but they do take their lives more so than the regular population. And I know that's a concern of yours, and that's a concern of other leaders in in the military. Why, how, what, what can we do to stop it? And so I appreciate you being involved in this. Tell us a little bit about your involvement with, uh, with Live On. Well, um, you know, veterans in, in part of our military training, they teach resiliency, yeah. how to uh, bounce back from a bad situation. And um, sometimes it's, you know, uh, learning how to uh, stick your thoughts and feelings about something bad that happened into a corner and go and continue to do the things that are important. Um, Unfortunately, when we are no longer involved in those important things, then our mind goes back to those things that we stuck away and and haven't been dealing with. And so our veterans are susceptible, um, whether they've just retired or... uh, in the case of our, our Vietnam veterans and our Korean War veterans, they're now no longer actively working on a job, and um, all those thoughts and feelings are coming back and, and hmm. causing problems. And so we recognized that last year uh, when our forces pulled out of Afghanistan, uh, there was an uptick in veteran suicides nationwide. Hmm. Uh, some of it was... Um, that thought of, hey, I, I lost a buddy over there. What was it for? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And, you know, it, it it makes us really kind of question what we were doing the years we spent. Yeah, what was the whole point of the whole thing? Yep. And then, but, you know, and as one of my good friends from the VFW likes to say, um, everybody has something valuable in their life. Um, we matter. 
we yeah. make a difference. So it's that finding that ability to refocus ourselves again and and find a, a sense of purpose and a, a sense of drive to uh, start making a difference in our community again. I, a good friend of mine was with the Triple Deuce when they were deployed and he saw things. In fact, uh, uh, there are things that he still won't talk about to this day. It's in that corner that you talked about. Uh, that's a reality that we've got to figure out uh, there. And we've got to figure out how we can, like you said, get them to refocus. Uh, I don't know if it's healthy to have those things in that corner for very long because eventually they're going to come out. Um, has there been any advancements made as, as far as this field at, at trying to get our veterans to deal with this stuff because I mean I have a nephew who was in a Hummer that was blown up by a by a propelled IUD and or I IED IED that's it and, and uh, the guy sitting next to him died and he didn't uh, and, and you know and he I mean he was there he watched it happen and he I, I I've talked to him and he's like I, I don't know why it wasn't me dead instead of him or it wasn't both of us or whatever these are things that really happened. And the human mind does not like to deal with them, but these guys have to. Any thoughts on that? Well, um, way back when I was a, a young high school student in my my eighth grade uh, English class, mm -hmm. uh, my teacher had us read uh, a book called uh, The Red Badge of Courage. Oh, I remember uh, that. Yeah. And it kind of deals with that same thing, that these uh, thoughts and feelings have been going on for our soldiers for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um how do you deal with the trauma that you experience in a war zone? Uh, yeah. In World War One uh, and World War Two, they called it shell shock, uh, where right. they would, you know, have to take these soldiers that were having some mental difficulty and pull them off the front line and get them some care. Uh, today, we call it post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. PTSD, yeah. And <clears throat> it is much more recognized as as an actual uh, um, mental problem, not so much that it makes somebody uh, susceptible to becoming a threat to our community, but something that uh, means that we have trauma that we haven't completely dealt with. Yeah. Um, and today the, the Veterans Administration has made uh, suicide prevention one of their primary concerns uh, because of that, uh, all the VA hospitals nationwide have have uh, psychologists present that are trained in dealing with PTSD. Um, mm -hmm. We actually have a, a community-based outreach clinic here in St. George that has some uh, licensed psychologists on the staff. And um, they've also set up the veteran centers, uh, which are separate from um, the VA hospital clinics because they don't deal with actual health care, but they deal specifically with uh, providing therapy and, and hmm. services to combat veterans who are still dealing with uh, uh, mental issues from their time in service. Let me, let me ask you, and this is just your, your theory and not uh, any kind of fact, but why does it happen, do you think, to some guys and some other guys, maybe in almost exactly the same situation, they they can move on and not even it doesn't bother them that much. Why why do you think certain people are susceptible to it, Theron? Well, that's um, that's a magic I, question. Yeah, isn't it? It, it really is. Um, it's it's the same thing. Um, 
in uh, 2007, I went to uh, Denver, Colorado, and spent some time in uh, a uh, what they call a PTSD rehabilitation program, mm-hmm. uh, where they deal specifically with teaching us how our minds work and uh, providing us some in-depth therapy. Um, the uh, in sights, sounds, um, the mind is a wonderful thing. It it captures everything we we see we think we feel whether, whether we want it um, to or not yeah. it's why those uh, those special eidetic memory people that have the ability to access everything their mind records mm-hmm. are able to quickly uh, tell you what's on a certain page or right. describe something they've seen um, it's a matter of being being able to build those those relays in your mind well for those of us in the military some of those relays were were difficult so we stuck them in a in a spot and yeah. tried not to dwell on them and and you can understand from the, the military side of the fence that um, if you've got another uh mission going on you got to go out the gate into danger again you can't worry about what happened right. the day before you've got to prepare for the next one sure and um, a lot of our veterans, when they came home, did just that. They threw themselves into their schooling or their work, and they've been dealing with that up until the time that all of a sudden they retired, and their mind's no longer busy with that, and out come those old feelings. But hmm. um, I was an artillery officer. Uh, spent uh, 20 years listening to rounds uh, flying through the air. Yeah. So explosions didn't really bother me. And I'd look at uh, some of our veterans who were that hear a, a loud noise or um, hear um, right. firecrackers go off on trigger. the 4th of July right. or watch um, the fireworks go up and, and they would be looking for cover, trying to, to find a, a, a safe place to crawl under. And I never had that feeling because I was used to the sounds. Right. Um, so I think some of it is training, um, how we've learned to deal with things, but... For one person, um, that may not be a big deal. For somebody else, it brings back traumatic memories. I had a, a friend of mine, uh, I knew it has been two or three decades ago, but uh, he sounds like that, sent him a car backfire or a firecracker or even just a loud, you know, something slamming against something else would, would immediately take him back in time to Vietnam when when... You know, they were trained, especially if you were a foot soldier in Vietnam, if you heard any of those kinds of sounds, it meant, like you said, find cover. Somebody, you know, somebody's shooting at us. Somebody is trying to kill us. And uh, they, you know, that that was a trigger for him, the, the, the loud sounds like that. And uh, back then, now we're talking, this was in the, in the 80s, the late 80s. They didn't even know really at that point how to deal with that kind of thing. And he, uh, you know, he was in his... And the mask going to be all messed up, but I would say he was probably in his forties or fifties, and he just lived with it. He had he didn't see counselors. He didn't have and and of course, like I said, this was forty years ago, thirty five years ago. So, but uh, I can can you imagine that every time you heard a loud sound, you instinctively even didn't even want to. You just instinctively started to duck for cover. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I've so, I've seen it a lot mm. uh, with uh, with our lot of lot of our veterans. Uh, it's a reality that they deal with every day. And fortunately, mm-hmm. because of my artillery background, I didn't have that same thing. But um, here in Utah, we don't uh, have a rocket unit, and rockets have a different sound. And 
the sound of that whoosh is something that still brings back memories to me, uh, which is you know, a little different than a than a than a cannon firing. Yeah. So do you, I, I got to ask you. I know this is. Uh, I don't want to waste any airtime on this, but uh, do you know Cade Boardman? He was uh, one of the operators of those uh, uh, bazookas, I guess, the, the artillery there in the in the front of the bases. So, yeah. I'm, I don't know. Not, huh? okay. I don't know him personally. Had but, to ask. Uh, had to ask. But I do know the name. Yeah, good guy. Uh, all right, we've got to get a weather break in. Uh, we've kind of ignored Nick. I want to get Nick involved in this a little bit, too. And uh, Theron, if you want to hang around, we sure appreciate it. That'd be great, too. All right? You bet. All right, let's get a weather break in. and we come back, we'll talk more about a new program out. It's called Live On or Live On Utah. The website, liveonutah.org. Uh, there's also got, we've got the new suicide hotline. Uh, it's a three-digit number, 988. That comes out in July. They've been training people and getting it all ready to go. Uh, we want to make sure everybody that needs it has access to it. Compelling guests, hot topics, the latest news, always on the Andy Griffin Show. Is there a juicy part in it for me? Right here on News Radio 890, 92.5, KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Welcome back. Andy Griffin with you, 937 on KDXU. Thanks again to Theron Crosby for being here. It's been fun chatting with you, Theron, for a few minutes. Not a fun topic, but, uh, you know, uh, the suicide prevention. But uh, you've handled it well, and really good to talk to you today. Thank you. We'll have Theron hang around with us a little while. But uh, let's bring in Nick Nucitelli. Did I say it right? Yes, sir. I've been practicing in my head like eight times, but practicing in your head and actually saying it are two different things. But Nick... <laughs> Thank you again for being on the show. Nick is the fire, uh, not the fire, the police chief at Laverkin City, correct? Yes. Uh, how long have you been doing that? Uh, going on a month and a half. Oh, so you're new fire. Or new, new, I keep saying fire. New police chief at Laverkin. It's all good. So, uh, all right. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, and uh, let's see. What else? Do you have a son that drives race cars or motorcycles or something? Yeah. So, tell us yeah. about that. So, uh, so yeah, I've been a police officer here. I started down here as a as a as an officer uh, for St. George City back in 2006. Okay, and um, and and then I went out to Laverkin just a couple of years ago, and just recently my chief retired, and and I got the opportunity to be a chief out there, and um, I'm I'm just really enjoying enjoying learning about it and and getting the opportunity to meet people like Theron and. And you, Andy, yeah. and also Joel, who was here earlier from uh, IHC, as some of the community members that get to help us spread a positive uh, word about terrible topics yeah. like suicide prevention. Yeah, and absolutely. suicide. Tell, tell us about this race car guy, though. I, you, yeah, so so uh, so yeah, I have I have three kids: uh, Tuscan, Sienna, and Rocco. And uh, Tuscan's fourteen. Tuscan, Sienna. Sienna, and Rocco. Now, now this guy knows how to name kids. <laughs> I'm gonna give all that credit to my wife because okay. she's the she's the she's the brains behind the operation there. Okay, great names, um, I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, uh, so your son introduces himself. I'm Rocco Nucitelli. Yeah. That is gonna turn some heads right there. That's gonna that's a showstopper right there. <laughs> don't don't you think, Theron? That yeah. is an amazing name. <laughs> all right. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. Keep no, going. No, you're all good. You're all good. That's 
but yeah, I'm super proud of them. Um, and all three of uh, my kids actually race cars. And Tuscan's just the oldest at 14, um, and he just recently won a uh, he track races cars at 14. Yes. Wow. Yeah. He and uh, and so we travel um, to some sp- places in the in the West United States, specifically in Nevada, California, and Arizona, to to race these cars on circle tracks and road courses. Uh, but they're very safe. Yeah. So I just want to let you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> my wife Katie, uh, I made sure that before um, you know, I was kind of going that direction. She's like, let's just make sure they have roll cages and all safe, the yeah. safety pieces that they need. So one of the one of the things that we talk about um, with my kids in promoting mental health is um, in Reach for Hope. Uh, and Teresa Willie came up with wanted to do a, a specific thing for the kids in their racing endeavors. Mm-hmm. And it says uh, keeping a balanced brain keeps you in the race. And that's what we like to do is, is balanced just brain. I like it. Keeping, yeah. keeping that awareness going for uh, people doing any endeavors that they have in life that are fun. Um, first of all, that's cool, really cool. And by the way, I, I'm guessing the apple doesn't fall from the tr- far from the tree, so the kids probably got it from dad, right? All the racing stuff and cars and all that. Totally into it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but as as we as we transition to why you're here, uh, Theron talked a lot about veterans and how uh, they have this little box. They have to put what they see sometimes away in the box, and then if they're not occupied, it comes out. Uh, the same can be held true with police officers and other first responders. Uh, in fact, uh, I've had several people on the show over the last couple of years talking about how the suicide rate among first responders is alarmingly high. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, Nick, what you've experienced and, and why this, why you think this happens. Yeah, so just to cover a little bit on the numbers thing, mm-hmm. um, so, so you have some, is we always, as, as, a, as a society and as police officers, we're always training tactically, right? Mm-hmm. Training tactically, making sure that we're going to go home at the end of our shift, and and that's a goal of every officer out there. And you, but but the facts are that you're three times more likely to commit suicide wow. as a law enforcement officer than you are to ever be um, killed in the line of duty. Wow. So when we when we have these memorials and we have these things to recognize these officers that put everything on the line, um, not just officers, but firefighters as you as i was yeah i I, I love firefighters and also (laughs) the emts and also our dispatchers and people that that work in the medical field Hmm. we have to recognize that that there are signs out there that hopefully we can um react to and 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 be involved in that can you say that number again uh because everybody being a police officer obviously is a dangerous job sure but Tell me that number one more time, and maybe we can let it sink in a little bit. You are sure. what? So three times more likely uh, to die to from your die own from hand your, from from a suicide than you As are for, to being attacked or killed in the line of duty. That's a sobering number. When you consider, like you said, all the training that goes into keeping yourself safe, protecting the public, protecting you, your partner, your family. Uh, and then you. Oh, by the way, uh, you're much more likely to die from suicide after the fact. is It's a sobering. Yeah, and I think I think Theron touched on it. I mean, you have these kind of genuine um, things that you are trained. And if you take, for example, a police officer or a firefighter or or any first responder, I'm just going to say first responder, even though I'm a cop. I love being a cop. It's a fun job. <laughs> Great job. But uh, you take you take these first responders that go to these scenes, and you're you're talking a very small window of time where you're going there 
and you're reacting, you're doing what's needed to be done, you're following mm-hmm. your training, you're staying within all your policies, you're making sure everything's squared away for everybody else. And that's your job. Yeah. But the, the follow-up is in that small window of time when you're, when you're out there doing everything you're supposed to do to help everybody else, at some point that help needs to come um, from you to ask somebody else for help. And that's hopefully what, um, what, what these numbers are going to help us do. Obviously, for a long time, it was a 1-800-273-TALK number. Mm-hmm. But they are coming out with the national number. And um, we hope that, that people do reach out to us. And, and, and like they explained, there's a ton of resources out here to find um, a solution to, to, that, to that problem that you're having. Hopefully that day and then and – then, if that day turns into something a little longer, there's ways to mitigate a lot of that hurt and a lot of that trauma um, to find to find a way to continue to live on Utah. Well, you know, the thing is, though, and, and I'll talk to Theron about this, too. The you're not supposed to ask for help when you're doing those jobs. You're you are the help. You're the guy everyone else asks for help. So that's got to be an incredibly hard thing to for the veterans and for the police officers to wrap their brains around is, okay, I helped everyone else. Now I need to get help. That's got to be tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think for for both of us, I mean, um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be in this area now uh, in in law enforcement and, and around a, a ton of other amazing professional, classy, um, efficient first responders that do their jobs so well mm-hmm. and they do them to the to the utmost care and um but what we want to do is 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 explain to people that that it's okay that you're the one finally making the call for help you've answered mm-hmm. thousands upon thousands of calls for help yeah and so so now it's about time for us to make that option and live on utah has just at the palm of your hand and everybody has their cell phones and everybody has technology. It's simple to reach out there is completely confidential and it gives you resources out there that, that will hopefully um, change that mindset for, for that, for that period of time. And that's what we're hoping for because if we can change those numbers in a positive direction to show that all of what you've done in your career and, and answering those calls, um, it's it's vital to to make sure that that we help out those that have helped everybody else out for so long. We've all seen the movies, uh, usually basic training, but also police academies where, hey, if you're asking for help, you're soft. You you're you know you, you can't be that guy that needs help. You need to be the guy that's strong for everybody else. I'll ask you, Theron, but also uh, Nick, uh, how do we get over that mindset of if you ask for help, you're soft? Well, that's. The million-dollar question right there. And, <laughs> you know, it, needing help is, doesn't, doesn't mean you're weak. Um, being able to recognize it and say, hey, you know, maybe I need to talk to somebody, that's actually a sign of strength. And hmm. we need to change that stigma and get away. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of times uh, when something bad in, happens in the community and they say, oh, you know, this guy used to be a cop or this guy used to be a veteran mm-hmm. so he must be dealing with bad PTSD that means he's gone crazy it doesn't mean you've gone crazy um, so being willing to say hey you know I've got these thoughts and feelings that are coming up and maybe I need to talk to somebody that is really a, a symbol of strength we need to mm-hmm. get away from that mindset 
that 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 means that we're deficient in some way. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Nick, there was an incident, it's been a month or two now, where uh, there was a hostage. I, I think it started over at your end of the county, ended up over on this other end of the county. Uh, but a guy took a little kid hostage. Uh, he ended up, they ended up using a sniper and shooting the guy and killing him. Uh, I don't know how many first responders or, or cops were, were there, but pretty much I'm sure they all saw it. Uh, that's one of those in- incidents we're talking about. That's something every single person that witnessed that, and even those of us, I was listening to it all in the scanner. I didn't witness it, but I heard it all go down. It was a pretty traumatic event. These are things that, like you said, not only once or twice, but tens and hundreds and thousands of these incidents happen in a police officer's life. How do you get over that stuff? How do you make that go away? Or, or does it ever go away? Or should it? Um, I, I, I mean, I, I do remember and I recall specifically and um, about that incident. I, my agency was not involved in that. Okay. Um, but yeah, there were multiple um, agencies involved there from were, yeah. EMS to fire to um, different city entities, including St. George, Santa Clara, Ivins, Washington City, um, and, and even outside of our state, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it ended in the state of Arizona. Right, Beaver Dam. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, there, there's, those things will happen. And, and when you decide to um, kind of recognize what took place, and then, and then if there's some residual effects from that or, or you start to have a lack of sleep or you start to have a thought process that comes up that isn't moving you forward and you're kind of dwelling on it, mm-hmm. I, I think those are, those are some of those signs where you should reach out um, and just talk to somebody. I, I think Theron's a great example of saying, you know, we are resilient, yes, but it's going to be a sign of strength for you to find those other people out there and, and, and have that be the way that we're looked at um, in our legacy as saying, yeah, that guy was part of the military. That guy was part of police officer or firefighter. And then, and then they're looking forward to hearing some of those stories that we tell, um, which, which might be a sign of healing itself. And so um, I, for, for me personally, I could share, I could share with you. I mean, um, Yes, the apple doesn't fall from the tree when it comes to racing. And, and I really um, spend a lot of time and effort and crucial for my family uh, to kind of have that time with them focused on yeah. building a race car, preparing a race car, and then, and then fundamentally going out to a track and, and releasing the limits of the car and doing the best you can and you take mm-hmm. away those results with with whatever they are but just getting there is is a cool thing and um and having my family around me is is very much my zen time but there's tons of other alternatives out there for people to do and and i encourage people to find those outlets in life and find those friends that are genuine people that care and and that's what my goal is and that's why i've been uh I'm appreciative of the opportunity to be a chief of police. Yeah. So, thank you. Find that, that one thing, right? Isn't that what everybody always says, that one thing, and and focus on it and spend a little time on it? And, uh, yeah. You guys, didn't you guys have a, a, a van crash out in Leverkin last night or, or yesterday or something? Or was that in Hurricane? 
Um, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't Levert. Okay, my bad. Uh, all right, I got to get one more quick commercial break in, and then we'll finish up with Nick and Theron as we're talking. LiveOnUtah.org, suicide prevention, a topic that's near and dear to my heart. It's touched my family and probably touched your family, whether you want to admit it or not. And uh, we want to talk more about that and the website and how to get a hold of folks with Live on Utah and that new hotline that's coming up right after this. Welcome back. We're talking suicide prevention and liveonutah.org. Guys, this one shocked me when I first read it, uh, but it's the truth. The highest demographic of suicides in our society is males age 40 to 49. And I thought, you know, with all the publicity, and it's incredibly sad when a young person takes their life, a high school kid or junior high kid or whatever, incredibly sad, but truth of the matter is it's guys a lot closer to our age that are actually doing it more often than anyone else uh is it the pressures what do you guys think is it the pressures of life uh maybe your marriage falls apart and you feel worthless uh, i don't know what i'm trying to put my finger on why it's that demographic is is number one any thoughts guys well i think you hit on on part of it uh we get so involved in our lives and mm-hmm. um a lot of times we have to have a tendency to build our self-worth around um, the we relationships do. we have and yeah. our work. And so when one of those things changes, it can cause a lot of stress. Hmm. Um, and again, we, we get back to the, the idea of being able to recognize that stress and bounce back. But uh, um, there are a lot of different triggers, uh, a, uh, a death in the family, a loss of a job, mm-hmm. um, a loss of a close friend, um, and uh, maybe you've been working really hard to build uh, a, a relationship or, or achieve a goal. I, I remember uh, talking with a doctor when I was in college, and, and we were talking about different stressors in life, and he mm-hmm. says... You know, he had worked so hard to get his bachelor's degree, his master's degree, and then his doctorate. Yeah. And now he's a, a Ph.D. And as soon as he finished that Ph.D. and it was awarded to him, he went into a, a bout of depression. A little deep that funk, put huh? him down into the depths where he was thinking about ending his life. And you're thinking, wow. this is a guy who's just achieved... Yeah. one of the highest levels of education we can get to. And it it flipped him. Um, and it took talking to somebody about it and uh, being willing to recognize that he was in, in danger hmm. uh, to get himself out of it. So that's one of the big things is is recognizing that you've got a problem and being willing to talk about it. I think we're just now understanding that stress can be hard on your health and that mental stress can be hard on your, well, maybe your ability to cope with things. Huh, Nick? Yeah. yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree. Um, with that. It's, it's for me. Um, yeah, I do think there's so many different factors that play into it. And one of the, one of the hardest things to, to kind of grasp on in dealing with, first responders is first finding someone that they really trust to talk to. Mm, good point. Oh, but and, they, they could easily say, you haven't been there. What do you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I hope that um, as, as we continue to learn more about it, we'll have that. 
No, you can keep going. We've got a minute left. Is all. Oh, okay, so. okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, so find somebody you trust. Find somebody you care about. Make that genuine connection. And, uh, and there, is, there is some help out there for you. Right now, the phone number is 1-800-273-TALK. And again, there's going to be a national suicide hotline with trained professionals to help you. Uh, that starts in July. I think it's July 16th or 6th. Or, do you guys remember the date anyway? It's going to be 988. So kind of like 911, but it's going to be 988. It's going to yes. be easy for folks to access. Uh, guys, thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us today. And I know he wanted to talk a little bit about rolling in the Red Rocks. Yeah, there's a car show coming up, and um, there's a great support. But Reach for Hope booth will be down there and the Live on Utah. So if you want to meet uh, the new Chitellis and their family and Teresa, Theron, and hopefully all the other good people that support Live on Utah and Reach for Hope, uh, we'll be at the booth outside the Dixie Convention Center this weekend, Saturday, May 21st. Okay, Saturday, what time and, and how much does it cost, you know? It's all free to free. the public. Oh, free. that's the best price and of all. And there's tons of free swag. Free swag. And what time should we be there to see all the cool cars and meet the new Chitellis? Starts at 9 o'clock in the morning. 9 o'clock in the morning. All right, Nick, Theron, thank you so much for coming in today. It's been a pleasure. Again, that number is 1-800-273-TALK. And then coming in July, 988-SUICIDE-HOTLINE. Thanks for listening today.